to the Ryan Hickey Show, Worlds for the Worldwide Sports Red Network. We are back, and boy, does it feel good to be back with you guys here. I apologize for Monday's inconvenience. We are up and rolling here. Everything is running smoothly, and we are back here on the Worldwide Sports Red Network with a lot, a lot to get into. So what are we in for? Let's dive right in. We are coming to you live from where else but the big Italy Pizzeria Studios. And whether it's great pizza, hot heroes, and... Phenomenal dinners. Make sure you check out BigItalyPizza.com to find a location near you. The Celtics won Game 5 yesterday of the Easter Conference Finals. They go up now three games to two over the Heat, and they are 1-1 away from the NBA Finals. And the biggest reason for that, the biggest reason why they're 1-1 away from the Finals, biggest reason why they took a 3-2 series lead in what has been a very ugly so far Easter Conference Finals is because last night, they showed you and they did what championship teams do. They find ways to win when you don't have your A game. That's really what defines a champion and what separates, let's say, the elite teams from the great teams from the good teams. How do you still find ways to score, to play well, to win when, let's say, everything is not going your way? Yesterday, the best player on the Celtics, Jason Tatum, he struggled shooting yet again. But guess what? I was at least impressed with what Jason Tatum did last night because even though he wasn't scoring, he then was still impacting the game as a primary playmaker slash facilitator. He was finding ways to contribute to winning when his shots weren't falling at an efficient pace. But it wasn't just Jason Tatum. And look at the Celtics. Yesterday wasn't exactly a Picasso offensive performance. It was a beautiful by any stretch of the imagination. This scored 93 points, the Celtics did. But as a team, to their credit, although the offense was struggling, they locked down on the defensive end, and they found a way to win the game when their offense wasn't leading the way. So that's, to me, what champions do. That, to me, is what championship medal is made out of. How can you win? How can you still have success when your A game isn't there? When you're working with your B-minus, C-plus game, when things, whether it's referee calls, whether it's just bad breaks or bad luck, things aren't going your way. How do you still find a way to win? That, to me, was why I was so impressed with what the Celtics did last night. They didn't have the right game by any stretch of the imagination. They still found different ways to impact the game and still found different ways to walk out of Miami up three games to two. So, like I said, I was impressed with Jason Tatum. Statistically, it's not going to go down as one of his greater games. It's not going to go down as one of his best playoff games. And the scoring wasn't impressive. He had 22 points. Kind of ho-hum for Jason Tatum standards. But again, very inefficient. 7 of 20 shooting from the field. And his up and down inconsistent play has continued. And part of that, I think, has to do with what we saw last night. In that that nerve injury in his shoulder is impacting his play. 
Heard it back in game three, missed a little time, came back into the game, played through game four, and you saw yesterday at different points, you know, him kind of struggling uh, and, and writhing in pain at different points in the game. That shoulder is bothering him for sure. But again, like what great players do, did not allow that injury to slow him down and did not allow the fact that his shots weren't going in um, at an efficient rate to have him stop playing. Like, I think he started 0 of 7 from the field in that first half before he finally had a 3 go down. It was not a pretty start by any stretch of the imagination. But again, he still found ways to impact the game because while he wasn't shooting well, he was able to set his teammates up and put them in a position to score well. Like, one of the reasons why, despite, again, he goes 7 of 20 for shooting, uh, 7 of 20 shooting from the field, and has just 22 points, one of the reasons why I sit here on Thursday morning and say I was impressed with Jason Tatum because he had 9 assists. So again... Some players, and we have seen it all the time, when their scoring isn't going well, when they are primarily known for their ability to put the ball in the basket, and that is either not the shots aren't falling, they're struggling, they just can't get out of their own way, that impacts the rest of the game, or that impacts the rest of the way they play, sometimes their effort, sometimes their focus. The Jason Tatum's credit, he realized early, okay, my shot's out there, so what am I going to do? I'm going to find my teammates in Marcus Smart and Al Horford, and Jalen Brown, and have those guys who are feeling it impact the game and put points up because I can't right now. Nine assists. So for me, again, you're finding your teammates, you're facilitating, you are finding ways to impact the game in a winning way when your number one priority, when your number one skill in shooting isn't there. And that to me, again, is what great players do. Credit Jason Tatum because yesterday... First Name first team All-NBA. A very nice honor for him. When you are first team All-NBA, that means you are a great player. Could be just for a year. Some players, as we know, can't sustain that success and that greatness. But when you are first team All-NBA, that means, and that is the voters telling you, you were a great player this past year. And Jason Tatum last night did what truly great players do. When you don't have your A game, you still find other ways to impact the game. You still find different small areas, whether it's defensively, whether it's playmaking, whether it's passing, whether it's even as simple as just setting screens, finding ways to win. That's what Tatum did yesterday. Didn't let the shooting get him down and instead found different ways to impact the game in a positive way, which is what the playoffs are all about. But it didn't just stop with Jason Tatum. It's not like any of the Celtics really uh, really found their way and really was having a, a great night. Sure, in the second half, things went their way and they especially started to pull away from Miami, but that first half was very ugly. And to the Celtics' credit, they did what Jason Tatum did. They found ways to win the game when their scoring was at a premium. And this is a team that scored 37 first-half points. 37! And we're, we've seen plenty of teams in this postseason score 37 points in a quarter. 37 points and a half. You had your two, if you're the Celtics, you had your two stars. Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum. In the first half, they combined to shoot 3 of 16 from the field. 3 of 16 from the field in that first half, 37 points. When you look at that 3 of 16, it was the worst combined field goal percentage for those two, that, you know, that Tatum and Brown duo. In any game this season, not just the playoffs, regular season, postseason combined, the 3-16 of was by far the worst combined shooting percentage in the first half for Boston's two young stars. 
So the offense wasn't falling. Your two best players aren't doing what they do best in scoring. You, again, you score 37 points in the first half. You score 93 points for the game. And to Boston's credit, they found different ways to impact the game and to win the game. And that was primarily on the defense end. Now look, I get Miami's banged up. Jimmy Butler, Kyle Lowry, Tyler Hero didn't play. So I understand that Miami is not exactly working with a full deck on the offensive end of the floor. But that said, Boston still held Miami to just 7 of 45 from 3. 7 of 45 for the best 3-point field goal percentage shooting team in the NBA this regular season. They won a grand total of 7 for 45. Again, part of that is injuries. Part of that is Jimmy Butler not having his legs under him. Part of that is Kyle Lowry chucking up shots with a bad hamstring. Part of that is Tyler Hero not being on the court because of a groin injury. But also, part of that is Boston not giving Miami any open shots. Part of that is Boston's defense locking down a inefficient Miami offense. It wasn't just Miami not being able to hit water from a boat. It was the fact that the Celtics were forcing them into bad shots. And that's again, goes back to finding ways to win when you're not scoring. I want to give a shout out quickly to Derek White. Derek White had a really impressive game. Sure, offensively, he scored well and it was nice. But defensively, flying up and down the court, two steals, one block, hand in the face. He just put the energy and effort on the court. Which, again, sounds like a simple ask. But in the playoffs, those small details are magnified big time. Derek White was flying up and down the court. Robert Williams was a force down low after Ben Matabayo scored 10 points in the first half. He really put the clamps on him in the third quarter that ended the game right there when the Celtics ran away with him. We're up by 20s to start the fourth. This defense set the tone yesterday for the Celtics, and when the shots weren't falling, they still found another way to win. The Heat couldn't do that. The shots were not falling for the Heat, and they could not find different ways to get to the basket. They could not find different ways to get into the paint and get to the foul line. They just kept shooting threes. And again, when you're 7 of 45 from three, you don't have a chance. So as a credit to the Celtics, really clamping down on the defensive end. When they saw the offense wasn't going to be the reason why they were going to win, they went all in on defense. Credit to Jason Tatum, whose shots weren't falling early, and he said, you know what? I'm going to be a playmaker, facilitator, nine assists, help set up his teammates. That to me is what championship teams do. Watching that game number five yesterday showed me, again, why I still believe the Celtics are winning the finals. They yesterday played game five and did so and did what championship teams do. You find ways to win when your best asset, when your best part of your game is not there. You have other areas in which you can focus on in order to win. That to me is what the Celtics did. That to me is why they're winning the series. That to me is why the Celtics are still winning the NBA Finals. So I'm curious your thoughts here. Plenty of ways to contribute. Facebook Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You want to tweet me? You can at Ryan Hickey Show. At Ryan Hickey Show. Or on YouTube as well. Write down on the comments. Worldwide Sports Radio Network is our YouTube channel where the show is live there right now. So Facebook, Twitter, YouTube. Is this series over? Is there any chance of a Heat comeback? And from what you saw last night, do the Celtics look to you like a championship team? Love to get your thoughts again on Facebook, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Tweet me at Ryan Hickey Show. And on YouTube, right in the comment section, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. When we return, there was a report out there yesterday from the New York Daily News saying that the 
Nets were hesitant in giving Kyrie Irving a long-term extension. Could that lead to the out, or the ouster, I guess is the better way to say it, of Kevin Durant from Brooklyn this offseason? We'll discuss KD's future when we return us into the Ryan Hickey Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show, right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back into the Ryan Hickey Show on the Worldwide Sports Network. We'll get to Kevin Durant and the uh, his feature in Brooklyn here in a second. But I do just want to give a quick shout-out to the Miami Heat yesterday. Because even though they lost Game 5, I thought the Heat didn't. Well, there, what they did before the game was even more impactful than how they played the game. So obviously, everyone is still reeling 72 hours from that tragic school shooting in Texas that happened. That's just senseless. And we all talk about what? Change. How do we prevent this from happening again? Well, I want to give a shout-out to the Heat because they at least started to take change into their own hands. Yesterday before the game, they had a moment of silence. And as soon as that moment of silence ended, they put a PSA up on the screen for every fan to see, urging them to call their state senator in order to get common-sense gun laws and gun reform in motion here. And that, to me, when we start talking about going forward here, how can we prevent this from happening, that is truly the change we're talking about. It doesn't happen with me and you. It starts with the people that we elect at a local level, at a state level, at a national level. Those are the truly the people that have the power to change this country and prevent what we tragically saw on earlier this week from happening again. Let's just not forget here. I want to say this very quickly. We elect the people, right, that are in office that have power. They are supposed to, what the, the outline of the job is, serve the constituents they represent, right? Whether, again, that's at a local level, a state level, or a national level, they are there to serve us, to serve the best interests of the people that elect them to their office. And I don't know about you, you look around in a very divided country, in a world that can't agree right now. If I look out and say the sky is blue, there's people yelling at me saying the sky is not blue. We cannot agree on anything. The one thing, One of the very rare few things I have seen in this, at least over the last few days, looking at the reaction to this tragic event, everyone is in lockstep. Everyone would like change. Everyone would like reform when it comes to guns, when it comes to background checks, when it just comes to common sense, trying to prevent senseless and tragic shootings from happening anywhere, but especially schools. So if everyone is in agreement, if everyone is on the same page, how can then come the people we elect are not doing anything about it? If they're supposed to truly serve us, if we elect them to serve our best interests going forward, why are those areas where almost everyone is in agreement, we need change, how come those areas are not being addressed? So I just want to give a shout out to the Heat for at least taking change in their own hand and urging the 20,000 fans in attendance last night to start to make a difference. Calling their state senator and trying to at least enact change because that is where it's going to actually happen. It's going to happen at the governmental level. It's going to happen with new policy, new reforms, and at least shout out to the heat for trying to urge all of us, at least people there in attendance, to take change into our own hands and start having, again, the people that are supposed to serve us, the people that we elect to have our best interests at heart, had them finally start to do something that we are all in agreement needs to end. 
So I just want to say that good for you, Miami Heat, um, and hopefully it continues. So, all right, back to sports. There was a report yesterday um, from the New York Daily News that I want to get into. And I just want to say this to start. Kevin Durant, if he does leave the Nets this offseason, I think it would be the worst look of his career. Kevin Durant has had some bad looks in his career. Going from Oklahoma City to Golden State right now is number one. He was villain number one in his career where most people were Kevin Durant fans. That changed very quickly when he left the Thunder to go to the Warriors and join that 73 and super team that was already there in Golden State. That was a bad look. Having the whole entire burner count fiasco when he was outed for having burner accounts tweeting at people that were negatively tweeting him. That was a really bad look. If he leaves the Nets this offseason, that to me would be the worst look of Kevin Durant's career. Let's not forget why he left Golden State in the first place three years ago. He left Golden State to finally be able to accomplish something on his own. Fair or not, Kevin Durant is never going to get the credit for winning the two titles he did and winning the two uh, NBA uh, Finals MVPs he did in Golden State because that was Steph's team. Uh, that was Steph's team. They had Klay Thompson there. They had Draymond Green there. They won 73 games and won a title without him. Kevin Durant is never going to get the full credit he deserves until he does it on his own. And to finally venture out, leave the Warriors, go to the Nets, and then after three years of being away from the Warriors, two years playing on the court, remember the first year he missed because of the injury, so two years playing on the court, three years removed from the Warriors when he left. If he is to leave Brooklyn and run away from this mess we'll call right now, it would be by far the softest move of his career. He's made his bed. He's made his bed with the teammates he wanted around him, and it's either time to lie in it, or it's time to remake the bed. Remake the roster, but you staying there and seeing it out in order to become a championship team. Either way, fine. If he stays at Brooklyn, okay. But if he leaves... I think it'd be the softest move of KD's career. It'd be the worst look of his career. And the reason why we're talking about this, the reason why we're bringing this up now is because yesterday, Christian Winfield, great reporter for the New York Daily News, he put out this report saying that the Nets are unwilling to give Kyrie Irving a long-term extension. They don't feel they can trust him because whether it was his vaccine absence last year, whether it was him going MIA at different points in his Nets tenure, whether it was just the injury risk. Every year, he's been injured and he's dealing with some sort of injury, either the regular season or the postseason or both. The Nets don't feel like they can trust Kyrie Irving to give him a max long-term offer. That, to me, is the right move. We'll get to that in a second. Because Winfield also writes that he wouldn't be surprised if Kevin Durant becomes frustrated with the Nets and their uh, lack of ability to put pieces around him and that he would leave Brooklyn. He cited that the that Kevin Durant has not talked to the front office since the playoff loss. And there is just hints. He's not reporting it, but it's just trying to put the pieces together and kind of put, you know, leave a, a trail of breadcrumbs out there. That if if the Nets don't bring back Kyrie Irving, that they could also, you know, they could be losing Kyrie, but also be losing Kevin Durant this offseason. Now let me start with Kyrie. Because I don't I think not bringing back Kyrie is the right move. You just can't trust him. You can't trust him. He's too injured. I think it's the right move in, in the Nets not long-term uh, hitching their wagons to Kyrie Irving. And you know what? I don't think Kevin Durant's really that upset about it. I don't think Kevin Durant is going to force his way out of Brooklyn because they don't bring back Kyrie Irving. 
I know in the in the article I just we just referenced, one of the reasons why Winfield is insinuating that Kevin Durant could leave this offseason is because he cites that Kevin Durant and the front office haven't talked since the season ended. Since they were swept by Boston in round number one, he's been MIA. Now I'll be honest, that seems like I don't that's not a red flag to me. Kevin Durant not talking to the front office after right after the postseason, up until now, seems pretty normal. Think about it, we're about just about a month since the postseason ended. Kevin Durant needs time to get away. I mean, he's had the most brutal postseason of his career in terms of, you know, self-accomplishment. He was held in check by the Celtics. All four games, he really struggled shooting efficiency-wise, getting anything going on the offensive end. He was, to the Celtics' credit, just taken out of the game. Taken out of all four games. So if you're Kevin Durant, I get the fact that you want to get away I get the fact you want to clear your head. I know he's been overseas. I'm not sure if he's back yet, uh, but I know he's been overseas for a while, just kind of getting away, kind of letting his you know uh, body relax and just decompressing. So I totally get, and for me, it makes total sense for why he's not been in communication with the Nets. Like if you were Kevin Durant, if you were just in a super stressful season where you had James Harden forced his way off the team midway through, you had Kyrie Irving miss half the year because he didn't get the vaccine, and Kevin Durant, you came in with championship aspirations, you get hurt, you miss six weeks, you come back, all of a sudden, if you're the Nets, you are fighting just to make the playoffs. Forget about having a chance to win a title. You are fighting just to make the play-in game, and then you get swept by the Celtics in, in round number one where you have your worst postseason in your career. It makes all the sense in the world for you to want to get away, not think about basketball, and just think about anything else. But the Nets, I think anything else about the NBA, especially while the playoffs are still going on. Like, the season's not even over. So if you're Kevin Durant, there's no real reason to be talking to Sean Marks, the GM, or Joe Sy, the owner right now. Just let the man take a breath. I think that's what Kevin Durant is doing. And that's why I have no problem or, or get bothered by that report or think that report that he hasn't talked to the front office since they've gotten swept means he's going to leave this offseason or means that he is frustrated with the front office. That's reason number one why I don't think Kevin Durant is that upset with, with Kyrie Irving uh, not coming back. But also, too, this other reason. Let's not forget, Kevin Durant is very passive-aggressive. Kevin Durant is someone who likes to, you know, subtly drop hints. He will never confront someone one-on-one. He'd rather do it to social media, rather do it to reporting. So, this is now the second time there's either, you know, there's been some sort of doubt about Kyrie Irving coming back to the Nets. If you remember a few weeks ago, Sean Marks, the general manager of the Nets, was speaking to the media and dropped different hints along the way, basically saying that, you know, basically saying he doesn't want Kyrie Irving back. Saying, you know, there's questions about his future. He's not going to, you know, make the mistake he made last time, uh, this time last year. Sean Marks said it's a guarantee that uh, James Harden and Kyrie Irving are going to sign extensions. Well, last year they didn't. So he said this year I'm not going to make that same mistake. No guarantees. And everything Sean Marks said about wanting to improve this team this offseason, he stressed making the culture better. He stressed finding guys that are we, not me. He stressed finding guys that are reliable uh, to the team. I mean, look. If you pick up what Sean Marks is putting down, all the characteristics he's looking to bring it and add to this team this offseason are exactly the opposite of what Kyrie Irving is. He wants reliable players. He wants selfless players. He wants guys you can trust. 
That is not Kyrie Irving. It is like a rocket scientist to realize what Sean Marks is doing. He was already laying the groundwork and kind of dropping hints that he does not want Kyrie Irving back. Then yesterday, this report's put out there that the Nets, forget about it, just aren't feeling it. It's The report basically said the Nets are not giving Kyrie Irving a long-term deal. It was like, ah, we're not feeling it, but maybe we will. Ah, maybe we're on the fence about it. It was, they are not. The report is from the sources that Christian Winfield of the New York Daily News have, the Nets beat reporter. He was saying the Nets are not giving Kyrie an extension. So, Shaw Marks spoke and, and kind of danced around the topic, but basically hinted at, at not wanting Kyrie back. His report yesterday says that the Nets are not going to offer Kyrie Irving a long-term deal. If Kevin Durant truly wanted Kyrie back, if he was very upset about this, wouldn't you think, wouldn't you think, for a guy who's very passive-aggressive, for a guy who lives on social media, especially Twitter, he would drop some sort of hint that would say like, oh, this is not, you know, this bothers me. I hope Kyrie is back. I have not seen anything from Kevin Durant say, I want Kyrie Irving back next year. This report is bogus. We want Kyrie back. I haven't seen it. And wouldn't you think Kevin Durant would put out some sort of tweet to pour cold water on these reports of Kyrie Irving leaving Brooklyn or not you know, the Nets not wanting him back? Kevin Durant still is the general manager of the team. Let's just call it for what it is. In the NBA, players have the power. Kevin Durant is going to have the ultimate say of whether Kyrie Irving is back next year. If he wanted Kyrie back, Kyrie would be back. Wouldn't you think he would put some sort of tweet out, he would make some sort of message or anonymous report or put out to a reporter that, oh, Kevin Durant really wants Kyrie Irving back. He has not done any of that. I think there's a reason for it. His silence speaks volumes. Remember that. Kevin Durant is mum on this subject for a guy who's mum about nothing. Always tweeting, always giving his opinion, whether he's asked about it or not, whether people tweet at him or not. Kevin Durant can't stay out of his own way at times on Twitter and really can't stay out of the spotlight on Twitter. He would tweet. He would have tweeted already. His support for Kyrie coming back if he truly wanted Kyrie back. I don't think he does. Which is the reason why I don't think Kyrie, uh, I don't think Kevin Durant is leaving the Nets this offseason. Look, it's called the facts the facts. His four-year extension that he signed last year starts this year. So he's under contract for the Nets for four more years. If he runs away, if he says, you know what, if Kyrie's not back, I'm out of here. I don't trust Ben Simmons. I don't like the pieces around me. The Nets, sorry, you guys are screwing me. I'm out. It's a true coward move. It's a coward move. And again, it's even it's even worse than him being up 3-1 on the Warriors when he was with the Thunder. And then not only blowing that lead, but then going to a 73-win uh, Warriors team to team up with them to get a ring the easy way. That was bad. That was really bad. And that changed at least the trajectory of the NBA. This would be worse. This would be way, way worse. Kevin Durant basically saying, you know what? I give up. It's not me. I can't do it on my own. I'm getting out of Brooklyn. Forget the fact that Brooklyn has done everything I've asked. They've, you know, they brought in Kyrie Irving. I wanted James Harden to go with the big trio. We got the big three in James Harden. They sold the farm. And they're already selling the farm to get me and Kyrie here in a sign and trade. We're going to sell the farm again in order to, um, to bring James Harden in. And then when that didn't work out, you trade him to get Ben Simmons. 
Is Ben Simmons the most reliable player in the world? Absolutely not. But yeah, it's something back for James Harden before letting him walk for free in free agency. The Nets have done everything possible to their credit to help Kevin Durant win a title. They fired Kenny Atkinson. The Nets didn't want to fire Kenny Atkinson. I thought Kenny Atkinson got screwed. Katie and Kyrie say, yeah, we don't like Kenny. Kenny's gone. The Nets have done everything. They have bent over backwards for Kevin Durant in order to give him what he wants in order to win a title. So the Nets now winning a title so far in the two years at least Kevin Durant has been uh, on the court and winning one playoff series in those two years, it's on the players. It's on Kevin Durant. It's on Kyrie. It's on James Harden. You got to own that. And it goes back to the to lying in the bed you make. If you are Kevin Durant, you got to look in the mirror and realize, I am the biggest person at fault here. I trusted Kyrie Irving. I then trusted James Harden. Two of the most untrustworthy people in the NBA. That's on you, man. That's not on the Nets. You would have you have no right to be frustrated with Brooklyn and try to force your way out this offseason. The Nets are doing the right thing with, with by getting rid of Kyrie Irving. And you really have no leverage at this point because you were the one who picked the players. You were the one who or, or built this team. And when it blew up in your face, when Kyrie is unreliable and unavailable, when James Harden got fat to leave Houston and then basically just started tanking his game this past year in order to get out of Brooklyn, that's on you, man. Pick better players. Pick better personalities. Forget about picking better players. Pick better personalities. Pick more reliable people. Kevin Durant has got to live with that. So that's why I think forcing his way, if, I'm not saying he is, if he forces his way out of Brooklyn, it is by far the worst look of his career. You're not entitled to try to win a title every single year. Like, the, the greats have all won on their own. MJ, Kobe, LeBron, Giannis. They have all had teams built around them, but in their own eye. Kevin Durant, the only time he's won, as we know, is, is when he went to Golden State. But you know what? All those players are listed. Giannis, LeBron, Kobe, Michael. They've all had pitfalls and downfalls. It wasn't all gravy. They didn't win every single year. They weren't title contenders every single year. Sometimes, you got to take a step back. That's what's going to happen this offseason. The Nets right now, with the cap space being hell, when you have Ben Simmons on a max deal, when you have you know Kevin Durant on a max deal, that limits right now the ability to, to build up the rest of the roster. And you know what? If you're Kevin Durant, it's time for you to start fixing it. Be there. Don't be a chaser. Don't go to some, don't go to Dallas. Don't go back to Golden State. Don't try to go to LA. It's on you, man, to fix this. Stay where you are, stand strong, and have something built around you. Don't bail because you're upset about the players you chose. Again, he wanted Kyrie Irving, he got Kyrie Irving. He wanted James Harden, he got James Harden. He wanted Ben Simmons, he got Ben Simmons. Don't be upset at the Nets. Don't try to leave them for the players you chose. The Nets have done everything to their credit to make Kevin Durant happy. The Nets have done everything to cater to Katie's wants and needs. It's time for Katie to kind of return the favor a little bit. And by returning the favor, I mean this year, riding it out. 
Look, if it's him and Ben Simmons, I don't have high hopes for for that Brooklyn Nets team. Joe Harris is coming back. Maybe that gives you a little spark of life, and maybe you can be a top six team. Do I think they're beating the Bucs or the Celtics? I don't next year. But you know what? Either building a, a new foundation and taking this year to have to be a rough one to build that foundation, whether it's just you know trying to get creative and bring someone else in, Kevin Durant has got to ride out this storm. That would be more impressive. And I have more respect for KD. If he does that this year, and they stink, or struggle, or out in the first round again, compared to him running away, going to somewhere else to try to chase a ring uh, in a new city. This is on you, KD. And you got to own that, and you cannot try to force her out from Brooklyn. So again, if Kevin Durant, if Kevin Durant tries to force his way out of Brooklyn, if he's upset with the way the Nets are not trusting Kyrie Irving and are ready to move on, if he tries to pull a fast one and get out of town with Kyrie, by far, by far, the worst look of Kevin Durant's career. I'm curious your thoughts here, right? Because we all saw this go down a few years ago. Where Kevin Durant has that famous Hamptons meeting with the Warriors and he goes from being up 3-1 Against 73 and Warrior team to then joining him. If you can't beat him, join him. He literally did that. That changed the entire NBA. Obviously, built the Warriors dynasty uh, up even bigger than it was. Would this, if he forces his way out of Brooklyn this offseason, would it be a worse look for Kevin Durant than going from the Thunder to the Warriors a few years ago? Love to hear your thoughts to your Facebook Worldwide Sports Ray Network. You could tweet me at Ryan Hickey Show or YouTube, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. When we return, speaking of a superstar needing help, that is Luka Doncic in Dallas. Now, there's one pervasive thought about Luka this offseason. He needs help. No one's though asking a question or pointing out a fact as to how that help would work in in Dallas. I'll explain what I mean when we return. Listen to the Ryan Hickey Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show, right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back into the Ryan Hickey Show, where else? The Worldwide Sports Radio Network. All right, so game five is later tonight, Warriors Mavericks. I think the Warriors are closing the series out tonight. For whatever reason, maybe it's, it's good business here. But the Warriors hate, hate closing series out on the road. They had a chance in Denver round one, lost, closed it out in five. Had a chance in, in round two against the, the Grizzlies, lost by 55. And then eventually closed my next game at home. Another chance to go to the sweep uh, on uh, Tuesday night. Warriors lose. I think they get the job done tonight. They want that extra gate money, that extra home home game for their fans, I think they win tonight and go to the NBA Finals. But I want to talk about Luka Doncic and the Mavericks here. Because there's been one common narrative surrounding the Mavs, and especially the Mavs star this postseason. Like most of the talk about the Mavericks has been about what? Luka needs another star. Luka needs another running mate that's more consistent. Jason Kidd has talked about getting him more consistent help. And one of the reasons why the Mavericks, when they lose games, it's not because of Luka. Whether it's in round one or round two, 
this or round two, round three, I should say, because Luca was hurt in round number one. Whether it was the Suns and the games they lost, Luca played great. Luca had a great stat line. Just no one else around him contributed. Same thing right now. The part of the reason why the Warriors up 3-0, Luca's played fine outside of game one. The problem is he hasn't had consistent support around him. So people are all talking about, let's get Luka Doncic a second star in Dallas. Let's get him a 1A running mate to get him help. But no one has talked about this aspect. And that's this. There's one thing that needs to happen in order for a second star to come to Dallas and have success with the Mavericks. Luka Doncic needs to change the way he plays the game. If he continues to play his normal style... Whether it's, put anyone you want, LeBron James, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, you can name any star you want to see in Dallas next to Luka. If Luka plays the game like he has this past year and continues that same style next year, it doesn't matter what star is next to him, they're not having success. Forget about not having success, no star is going to even want to come to Dallas to play with Luka Doncic. Now look, I'm not saying Luka stinks. Luka is by far one of the best scorers in the NBA. He just made his third all uh, first-team All-NBA team in four years. Third first All-NBA team in four years. He is one of the best young players in this game. He's one of the best overall players in this game. He is on the track to be the face of the league. But the reality is, his playing style, his ball-dominant style, is not conducive to playing with another superstar, and it's not conducive to having success with a running mate. Like, look, call for what it is. Part of the reason why he is so successful is because he has the ball in his hands 99% of the time. And you know what? When your second and third best players are Jalen Brunson and Spencer Dinwiddie, yeah, that works. That's a style that's going to work. Excuse me. When you have Jalen Brunson as your number two, no disrespect to Jalen Brunson, yeah, you're going to have the ball in your hands nine times out of ten. Same thing with Spencer Dinwiddie. Now, they have stepped up in different times as postseason to their credit. More times than not, Luka's going to have the ball in the big moments to get the job done. But if you want LeBron James, if you want Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving could be a free agent this summer. You want him? If we are starting to to imagine Luka and blank playing and running a one-two punch in Dallas, it's going to have to start and success is only going to come if Luka takes a step back. We have no idea if he's willing to do it or not. I'm not saying he's not willing. I'm saying he has to. If he does, if he's willing to take a step back, willing to have the ball in his hands a little bit less, willing to play off ball more than he does right now, then yeah, it's going to work. They're going to have success, and that's going to be a lethal combo of whoever you put next to one of the best players in the NBA. But if he's not, if he's stubborn, if he wants to play the way he plays now and expects whoever that comes to Dallas to kind of adjust to his style... It's going to fail. It's absolutely going to fail. Let's just for fun say it's LeBron James, right? LeBron has said he, that Luka Doncic is a player he'd love to play with. He's getting a little bit older. Let's just say it's LeBron. This offseason, the, the Lakers are a mess. Let me ask you this question, seriously. What difference would LeBron James make to this Mavs team if Luka isn't giving him the ball? If Luka is still playing and still has the ball in his hands at an insanely high rate that he does. Like most scores, most great scores in the NBA need the ball in their hands. They're used to being the guy to have the ball in their hands. There are very few, very few Steph Currys in this world. 
that are still great taking a step back. When Kevin Durant came to Golden State, the reason why it worked is because Steph Curry, even though he is the leader of that team, even though he was, you know, at that point, this, the two-time MVP and won a title and helped the Warriors win 73 games, he took a step back and basically Kevin Durant become focal point of the offense. If Steph said, I'm not changing my game, I'm still taking the 20-plus shot to take a game, and Kevin Durant, you're going to have to cater to me, I don't think the Warriors are as dominant. Part of the reason why they won two finals and went to a third and would have won a third if not for injuries was because Steph Curry took a step back and lessened his role slightly. That's what Luka's going to have to do. And if Luka doesn't do that, again, what good is LeBron James out there if he's taking eight shots a game, ten shots a game, and barely has a ball in his hands? What good is having Kevin Durant on the floor if he's going to be used as a decoy more than that? Like, Luka Doncic has the highest usage rate of any player in the playoffs. 39%. Now again, part of that just be, could be because of necessity. Jalen Brunson and Spencer Dinwiddie are kind of your two best players behind you. So yeah, of course, you want one of the best players in the NBA to have the ball in his hands as much as possible to get it. But if that doesn't change, if he continues to not only have a high usage rate in the playoffs at 39%, if he has the second highest usage rate of any, uh, of any player in the NBA in the regular season, only behind Joel Embiid, how are you going to bring in a second star and integrate that star to have success? He's better than James Harden. He has a more diverse skill set than James Harden. But it's Harden-like with the amount of time he has the ball in his hands. And that is not easy to play with. Part of the reason why the Rockets never got over the hump and won a title. Part of it is just Harden's personality. He's someone who quits when the going gets tough. He's not mentally strong. And he's just a guy that, again, in the, when the big moment, when the playoff lights shine bright, James Harden shrivels. Part of the reason why the, the Rockets ever got the hump is just his personality. But also part of it is that he never truly got along and never meshed with that second star. They brought in plenty of characters. Dwight Howard, Chris Paul, Russell Westbrook, if you want to even include Clint Capella in that mix, let's get wild, let's go for it. You've had different faces, different names, paired with James Harden to be that one-two punch to get Houston over the top. They never got over the top. In part because James Harden's style was never really able to fit with whatever star he was playing with. So that's just a reminder. That's almost just a warning now. I think this series is over. I think the Warriors are winning and we're going to start looking at the Mavericks and Saucers. That's going to be a very, that's going to be a team with a lot of eyeballs on it. What are they going to do to support Luka? Will they re-sign Jalen Brunson? Will they make a big-time trade? Just a warning, if Luka doesn't change the way he plays, I don't care who you bring in, it's not gonna have, they're not going to have success. And success meaning a title. Luka would need to take a step back in order to have him and whoever his running mate is have success. If he's willing to do it, God bless him, this Mavs team is going to be dangerous and fun as hell next year. If not... If he's still going to be the ball-dominant player we've seen so far in this first four years in the NBA, it's not going to work. Not going to work. When we return here on the Ryan Hickey Show, I have been a big, 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 big advocate for the Browns just cutting Baker Mayfield, moving on and saying, you know what, enough's enough. Let's just move on with the new quarterback. I think I have to amend that a little bit. There's one scenario that has popped up where I think the Browns should keep Baker Mayfield. Not trade him. 
Not hold on to him until they can get something back for him. Keep Baker Mayfield. We'll discuss what that situation is when we return to listen to the Ryan Hickey Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. <laughs> Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show, right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Ryan Hickey, back with you on this Thursday morning. Happy early Memorial Day, by the way, to everyone out there in this uh, in this beautiful world. I don't know about you. I know the weather is never great, especially here living in New York City. So northeast, if you couldn't tell, hopefully it's not too loud, but a lot of construction going right outside my window. So that is, as we there we go. Uh, we try to get that situated. Never a, a dull or quiet moment in the city. But at least living here in New York City, you are never truly... Um, getting summer weather by the time Memorial Day weekend comes around. So it's not like it's a weekend where it's officially summer, even though it technically is. But I still love Memorial Day weekend. Christmas is by far my favorite holiday, but right behind Christmas, it's July 4th and it's Memorial Day weekend. Summer is by far my favorite time of the year. It is, oh, oh, the best three months of the calendar. Love the hot weather. Love the beach. And so anytime you can kind of get excited, anytime you can welcome summer in, it is by far A-OK with me. So Memorial Day weekend coming up, the unofficial start of summer. I cannot be more excited. So hopefully the weather by you is nice. It's not going to be great here, but still, that's not stopping the festivities. That is not stopping the excitement of summer arriving here. Oh, I can't wait. Let's go. So happy early Memorial Day weekend. Whether it's a barbecue, whether you're in a location warm enough to go to the beach, I am jealous. Is anything... To be outside this weekend, enjoy, enjoy, enjoy. As always, the 10 o'clock hour is sponsored by LC Designs. Charcuterie boards, speaking of summer, are perfect for all occasions. So make sure your guests are happily fed with some delicious and aesthetically pleasing charcuterie boards made by Lauren Clark herself. So check out lcdesignsnyc.com, lcdesignsnyc.com for more information. So if you're a big listener to the show, you know I've been advocating all offseason long for the Browns to cut Baker Mayfield. Move on. You've got your quarterback of the future, Deshaun Watson. No reason to basically keep the ex-girlfriend around um, and and risk more drama starting, risk Baker Mayfield speaking out more about his frustration. Cut Baker. I don't think any of the return you would get would be worth keeping around and risking some sort of drama. There is the one scenario that has popped up recently that has me rethinking that. And there's one scenario out there where the Browns should keep Baker Mayfield. That scenario is this. If Deshaun Watson is suspended for the full season this year, if Deshaun Watson faces a 17-game suspension, if you're the Browns, you have to keep Baker Mayfield. There's no really thought about it. Now, admittedly, I don't think this is going to happen. I think there's a very, very, very remote chance of Deshaun Watson being suspended for the entire year. But, if it happens... The Browns cannot let Baker go, and Baker should not want to leave. So now Tuesday, at least, we're starting to slowly get to the end of the NFL's investigation. Roger Goodell was speaking publicly on Tuesday and said the NFL is close to wrapping up their investigation on Sean Watson. Still no timeline about when a suspension 
uh, could be. And we have no idea how long that suspension actually will be. But if the NFL wants to take a stand, and there is at least thoughts out there, there is talk out there that seeing Major League Baseball suspend Trevor Bauer for two years for what his off-the-field uh, sexual harassment um, sexual harassment uh, allegations are, NFL does not want to appear soft um, on sexual assault. If they come down hard, if they lower the hammer, uh, if you will, and suspend Deshaun Watson for a full 17-game season, it's Baker's team. Forget Jacoby Brissett. This is Baker Mayfield's team because that is the best chance of success for the Browns and for Baker. And frankly, I know there's a lot of contention between the two. I know it's not exactly the prettiest ending or the prettiest breakup, and Baker holds a lot of ill will towards the Browns. It's not even a discussion, though, in my mind. I think it's a no-brainer for the Browns to say, all right, Baker, you're our guy. I think it's a no-brainer for Baker to be like, okay, yeah, it's my team for a year, let's go. Like, if Deshaun's suspended for the entire year, and we say, all right, if you're the Browns, say, Baker, we want you back. If you're, if you're Baker, say, hey, guys, I want to be back. Like, who says no to that? To me, the answer is no one. Both say, yes, let's go. 2022, you're rolling with us. Because if you're Baker Mayfield, let's not forget, Baker's ultimate goal here is to show everyone in the NFL he's a franchise quarterback. The only way he's going to do that is by playing well. And if he struggles, no one's giving him a big-time contract next year. He's on the last year of his rookie deal. If he goes as a backup, let's say to a team with an already established quarterback, I've been advocating for Baker to go to the Buccaneers. Let's say he goes to the Buccaneers, backs up Tom Brady. Is any team running to give Baker Mayfield a, a, a five-year, $200 million contract? No. If he goes to Carolina or Seattle or any other team that trades for him and plays poorly or is taken down by just the lack of talent on that team, is any team running to Baker Mayfield next offseason and, and giving a big-time deal? No. The only way he's going to show he's a franchise quarterback, the only way he's going to get the deal he wants is by playing well. And when you look at the teams that are interested in Baker, when you look at the teams that could make a move to bring him aboard and make their start, make him their starting quarterback this year in 2022, it's going to be really tough for Baker to play well. Like the two teams that have reportedly even recently still interested, still kind of kicking the tires on a Baker Mayfield uh, trade are the Panthers and the Seahawks. Let me ask you this question. If Baker Mayfield goes to Carolina with a head coach and Matt Rule on the hot seat, with an offensive line last year that was god-awful, with some okay skilled players, but the best skilled player, the best overall player on the team in Christian McCaffrey can't stand the field anymore. Is Baker going to have a lot of success? I don't see the answer being yes. If Baker goes to Seattle, which again, I think is a team that is openly and unofficially tanking. They didn't take a quarterback in this draft for a reason. They didn't trade for a quarterback so far this offseason for a reason. They know they're going to stink. This team has a lot of holes. There's a reason why Russell Wilson wanted out. This team is DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, and nothing else. Their old line is gross. Their running backs can't stay healthy. The defense is overrated. Pete Carroll, to me, has lost his touch, lost his fastball, not a, a great coach anymore. There is a, It's a mess in Seattle. So you look at that team, how far behind they are from the Rams, the Cardinals, and the 49ers. You really tell me Baker Mayfield goes to Seattle. He's going to have success. He is going to show the other 31 teams in the NFL that he can be a franchise quarterback. If he goes to Carolina, 
he's going to have success? I don't think so. I think Baker Mayfield is a franchise quarterback. But with that said, I also think Baker Mayfield needs help around him. Baker Mayfield needs to have a team around him to, in some sense, in some areas, lift him up. I think Baker can have success. I think Baker can be a very successful quarterback in this this league and win your playoff games. And I think, if the situation is right, I think he can win a Super Bowl. But let's not pretend like Baker Mayfield is going to go to Carolina and carry that roster or go to Seattle and drag them to eight or nine wins and really leave everyone impressed. He needs help, and neither of those two situations provide the help Baker needs to have success. So if you are Baker Mayfield, and the starting quarterback for the Browns, Deshaun Watson, is suspended for the entirety of the 2021 season, why on earth would you shun a one-year opportunity to play with a top-five roster in the NFL? Like, I get he's upset with the team. I get... The reason why he felt like they gave up on him. Now, I think the Browns made the right move, but I get why he feels frustrated. He feels let down. He, though, can't let emotion uh, let his emotions get the best of him. He can't be a fool. The Browns in 2022 give him the best chance to succeed. They added Amari Cooper to the wide receiver room. They still have one of the best offensive lines in the NFL. Their run-heavy scheme with Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt is still one of the best in the NFL. Their defense got deeper and better and healthier. This team, even with everyone else in the AFC getting better, reloading, Denver bringing in Russell Wilson, the Raiders bringing in Devontae Adams, the Chargers going all out, and the Bills going all out, and the Bengals you know, becoming a, um, a returning threat now. The AFC is loaded and deep. Even with that said, I think the Browns have a really good roster and have a really good chance to succeed. They can legitimately compete in what is going to be a very stacked AFC. And if Baker plays well in 2022 with the best team he's going to play on, I think he would get paid. Because then you can write 2021 off as injury prone. As, hey, unfortunate, hurt his shoulder in week number two. That's it. Moving on. That was more you could chalk up his bad season two than him playing bad. You look at 2020, where he played well, helped uh, the Browns get to the playoffs and win a playoff game. And if he backs it up with good play in 2022, leading the Browns to the playoffs, maybe winning another playoff game again, maybe winning the division, I think that will get Baker Mayfield paid because two of the three years, you could say he's been pretty to really good. And then one year in the middle, he's hurt uh, since week two. So I get that this is a situation that's tough. I get Baker's upset. And basically, I already know that even before they signed Deshaun Watson, even before the Browns made it official, just the Browns meeting with Deshaun Watson was enough for Baker Mayfield to write his goodbye and basically publicly say, I'm done with the Browns. I get he's upset. I get he's frustrated. But he has to put that all behind him because he has to realize the bigger goal at hand. If you want to be a franchise quarterback... You need the Browns. You need the Browns. And that opportunity, if Deshaun Watson truly is suspended for a full year, that is your chance to get your career back. It's the best option for his career. So if you're Baker, maybe hold on tight here. You see what that suspension is. Because if you have the chance 
to play one full year with this team, and then you can get back in the, in the good graces of the NFL in terms of, of convincing teams you're a franchise quarterback and go to the team and go get a deal that you truly are looking for this offseason. And if you're the Browns, right? I think Baker needs the Browns here to get his career back on track. But if you're the Browns, you need Baker. Like, who else you going with? Jacoby Brissett is good in a pinch. And I like the Browns getting Brissett because if the suspension is less than a year, if the suspension is 10 games, 8 games, 6 games, 4 games, no, we don't know, right? If it's one of those areas where you're going to need Jacoby Brissett to play for a limited amount, okay, fine. I think he is good in a pinch and he could keep the ship afloat until Deshaun Watson returns. But I am not trusting Jacoby Brissett for a 17-game season to get this team to the playoffs. I'm a Colts fan. So I saw Jacoby Brissett be my starting quarterback back in 2019. I thought he played fine. He did some things well, struggles in other areas. But for the Browns, with the expectations the way they are, with this team constructed the way it is ready to win right now, you can't piss away 2022 just because your franchise guy is not going to be on the field. You still owe it to the other 52 guys in that locker room to be as competitive as possible and give them the best chance to succeed. Let me ask you this. Who gives the Browns a better chance to succeed? Is it Jacoby Brissett for a full year or is it Baker Mayfield for a full year? The answer is obvious. It's Baker. So we talk about Baker needing the Browns here to get his career back on track if Deshaun Watson is suspended for a full year. The Browns need Baker just as much. This is a team that is still set to win right now. Again, I think this roster is top five in the NFL. Top to bottom, 1 through 53, offense, defense, lines, receivers, defensive backs, running backs. I think the Browns have one of the most talented rosters in all of the NFL. So you got to give this roster a chance to compete. And the best way to do that if you're missing your franchise quarterback is Baker Mayfield. Now look, I get it. If Deshaun Watson is not suspended for a full year, which most likely he's not going to be. I'd be shocked, honestly, if he's suspended for a full year. But if he's not, I think the whole Baker situation just throughout there is null and void. Baker's not going to play six games and then leave, eight games and leave, ten games and hand the reins over to Sean. It's just not practical. It's not realistic. That's what Jacoby Brissett would start. But if it's a full season, 17 games, this is Baker's team for a full year, and he doesn't have to worry about Deshaun coming back midway through the year and taking over for him. I think it's a move that Baker has to do. I think it's a move the Browns have to do. Break bread, make amends, and for one year, basically be mercenaries to each other. Go all in for winning, put your harsh feelings aside, and then Baker, after the season, can go his merry way and go wherever the hell he wants. He'll be a free agent. He'll have earned a nice contract if he has success this past year or this upcoming year, which I think he will. And if you're the Browns, so you know what, Baker? You saved our bacon here. Our guy, Deshaun Watson, a top five quarterback in the NFL, missed the entire year, and you still gave us a chance to make the playoffs. You still gave this roster and gave the fellas in the locker room a chance to win. I don't think Jacoby Brissett does that for a full season. I think Baker Mayfield does. So if you are Baker right now, you have to wait this out and see Could Deshaun Watson be suspended for the entire year? Roger Dell this week said the investigation is wrapping up. So we should get a decision about if and how long a suspension is going to be soon. And if you're the Browns, if it's for a full year, 
Baker's your guy. You got to do everything and everything to convince Baker to come back for one year to get this team to the playoffs. I think he can. I think he would. So it's very strange to say with how this ending did go down. But there's a, a real chance here. The Browns and Baker need each other and could come back to join forces in 2022. So I'm curious your thoughts here. You know me. Again, I've been advocating this whole time. Just cut Baker Mayfield, get it over with, get him out of here. Am I wrong? Should the Browns hold on to Baker Mayfield to see what this suspension is like? And it was for a full year. Should the Browns go with Baker Mayfield? Or should it be Jacoby Brissett? Love to hear your thoughts here on Facebook, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Twitter, at Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter, at Ryan Hickey Show. Or on YouTube, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. All three of those handles, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube. You could find not only the live broadcast of the show in video, also, you can comment your thoughts there as well. So we'll get your thoughts here on Baker and, and the Browns feature when we return. But also, Lane Kiffin, right? NAL is a wild rush right now. I thought Lane Kiffin, he spoke with Sports Illustrated yesterday, gave a tremendous idea on how to rein it in. I'll give you what Lane Kiffin said uh, when we return. Listen to the Ryan Hickey Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. <laughs> Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show, right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back into the Ryan Hickey Show, pumping it up on this Thursday before Memorial Day weekend. So happy early Memorial Day. Welcome to summer. It's been a long winter, that is for sure. Great to have the sunshine, the warmth of summer, and all the greatness that comes with the best three months of the year back here on planet Earth. So I want to get into uh, what Lane Kiffin said because I'll be honest here. I am wrong. I know people never admit they're wrong, and everyone always loves to hear when someone else admits they're wrong. And I was wrong. I'm wrong about one aspect of name, image, and likeness when it comes to college sports and specifically college football. There are going to be uh, need to have rules implemented, whether it's a salary cap, whether it's contracts for student athletes. Something needs to change here in order to keep at least the Power Five schools somewhat on a level playing field. I, for one, has always kind of said the market's going to even itself out. It's going to make the stock market. And all the crazy money that's getting thrown around now is going to be reeled in or a year or two when kind of the the craze, because it's new and legal finally, kind of wears off. I am wrong, and I'm admitting I'm wrong now, because I thought what Lane Kiffin brought up, and he made a tremendous point. I thought he, in an interview he did with Sports Illustrated uh, this week that dropped, I thought he made some great points. I want to re, uh, read you one of his answers here. Because there's a question posed to him, again, the head coach of Ole Miss, basically saying, what's the solution? Recruiting has become the Wild West recently. What's the solution? Here's his answer. Quote, the thing that seems simple is there's a cap. How are we not professional sports? What is the difference? Players are making money. They can opt into free agency. We are a professional sport and they are professional players. Contracted employees without contracts. 
They get out whatever they want. And how is it not being seen that unless there are changes of rules around caps and contracts, how is every elite college player not at the end of the day, not at the end of the season, entering the portal? Let's be realistic. In professional sports, if you are an agent of a player and the player can opt into free agency and come back to where they want to test in the waters, who says, no, I'm not going to do that unless there's a penalty? End quote. Basically saying... Not only are college sports, specifically college football, now professionals with the money and the way it works, they are also free agents at any time, at any point in their career because of the transfer portal and the one-time free transfer. So he's basically saying, even if you want to stay at the university, and he used Bryce Young later in the interview as an example, he was saying, if you are Bryce Young, yes, you have a big-time NIL deal, you won the Heisman Trophy, I'm sure he's gotten a lot of money from Alabama. But anyone smart advising Bryce Young would tell him, get in the transfer portal. Even if you don't want to leave, all that will do is just basically force Alabama to pay you more money so you don't go. We've seen other players do this. We've seen other players get in the transfer portal with full intentions of staying at their respective university, return to their respective university, but after they receive a big payday. Now, look, I'm not saying you're sitting, I, saying I feel bad for, um, for any of the boosters that have to do this or any of the universities that have to shell out extra money. I feel no sympathy for them at all. It's kids' right, uh, rights to do that, and you should earn what you're getting. But I do think there has to be something changed when it comes to recruiting and when it comes to basically pay for play what has, um, what has come about it, where... You have recruits and boosters, or really boosters, I should say, paying recruits tons of money to come to their school, and that's it. So I think for me, a salary cap on the incoming recruiting class is the best tool to prevent basically just crazy spending from going on, but also keep basically the playing field level so that the 8 to 10 richest schools in the country aren't getting every single good player. Because Lane Kiffin also brought this up in the interview, different point. I think he's right. Now a lot of players are going where the money is. I got ten thousand dollars from this school. I got twenty thousand dollars from this school. Well, more times than not, you're going to take the twenty thousand dollars from the school B instead of school A. School A could have better classes for what you want. School A could have a better coach, better program. Hey, school B is doubling the money. I'll go where the money is. Most kids right now, not all, not all. Most of them are going where the money is. So that's going to mean, let's say, the 8 to 10 to 15 richest programs in college football. Alabama, Texas A&M, Georgia, Texas, USC, Ohio State. Those schools are going to be buying all of the best recruits every single year. So in order to keep some sort of parity in college football, to spread the talent out... And it's the ultimate goal and the ultimate way of bringing parity to the sport. I think the best way to do that is by putting a salary cap on the incoming recruiting class. So let's just say for argument's sake, because it's an easy number, let's say you have $10 million. Each school can spend up to $10 million on however, you know, on the recruits they're bringing in that year. So let's say an average recruiting class is 25 recruits. You have $10 million that you could spread however you want to those different 25 recruits. I think that not only, again, helps bring some sort of parity to college football because now 
it forces boosters to strategically give up, uh, divvy up the money. You want to go all in on you know a few big time players and, and kind of spread the rest out uh, levelly. You want to you know try to give you know each kid to the same amount. However you want to do it, it doesn't matter. It's it's you can give one kid ten million dollars and hope everyone else comes to your school for free. But it now just prevent it provides some sort of strategy. It prevents you know these massive schools with endless bank accounts and endless booster do, uh, donations from buying every single kid they want. It puts strategy into recruiting because now, yeah, sure, you may only have $5 million left, let's say, and I know that's a lot for a recruit, but let's just say that's the going rate. Now this goes off on your seven. Well, with a salary cap, you got to make a decision. They're going to take less, more money away from someone else to give this kid or we're just going to say we can't match that. I think a salary cap, especially for incoming players, I think would be the, the solution. Because it now forces schools like A&M to just not be able to just go buck wild in recruiting. It spreads the talent out. And also, too, provides a little incentive. Provides incentive. Because what's interesting is, now, with the way the, the, you know, NIL has worked, NIL was supposed to. The spirit of the rule was allow kids who have made a name for themselves, played really well at their school, to be able to... to Earn money off of that. What's it turned into is pay for play. You're a high school recruit, five-star guy. Here's $10 million, come to my school. You're a big-time quarterback. Here's $12 million, come to my school. Now, look, I'm, I'm not faulting these kids. Again, it's a free market. You can earn what you want. But if we truly care about parity, if we truly want college football to be balanced, which I, personally, I do. Like I, I want the best of both worlds, and I think... College football can achieve the best of both worlds where kids are getting paid and kids are getting paid a ton of money to do what they do well, which is playing football, but also have a way where the same eight to 10 schools are not getting or loading up on the best hundred players every single year. It gets boring. It frankly gets boring when the same five, six, seven schools are the ones getting all the recruits and in competition every year. I want to see, like, I like diversity of, uh, of schools. I like seeing different schools every single year pop up, like Cincinnati and Notre Dame. And a few years ago, Michigan State. Make the playoff and have a chance to compete. I like that. I get bored when it's Alabama, Clemson, and Georgia every single year. I don't think it's very fun. I don't. So the way you spread the talent out, in part is NIL, yes. But also, I think, putting a salary cap, especially when you recruit. I think once you're there, again, if you're Bryce Young, you're a year or two in, go, go, I don't care how much money you make. It doesn't matter. But at least a salary cap that tries to limit recruiting advantages, I think for me is the answer going forward to help solve college football's parity problem. And another thing that I'm interested in and intrigued in is contracts. Because one another unintended consequence that has started to develop from NIL that I don't think is great for the sport is tampering. Now, say what you want about Jordan Addison. I'm not saying Jordan Addison did anything wrong. Look, you have every right to get as much money as you want, and you have every right to go play where you want. I think the one-time tree, uh, free transfer rule is great for college football. Kids had you know no freedom before to go where they want to go, or if a coach lied to them about playing time. Or lying to them about, you know, the role they would play. If you want to leave, leave. You have a very short time in college to audition yourself for the NFL. 
So if the role is that what you want, if the coach and the playing time is that what you want, I think you should have the power to go somewhere else. Before, you couldn't do that. Now you can. So I think that one-time free transfer rule in college football is great. But also, the tricky part is, though, is that now we are starting to see schools through third parties like other players, because all players know each other now, start to tamper with other great players or other programs. Start to, whether it's true or not, have Caleb Williams start to kind of put in Jordan and Addison's here. Hey, man, come to USC. We'll get you paid, and also you can play with us. And he leaves Pitt, where he won the Blitnikoff Trophy last year, or Blitnikoff Award last year, to now go play for USC. Was there tampering? I guess it, it depends who you ask. But that's a real thing that's going to happen. You are going to continue to see coaches, players, try to get other talented players off of lesser rosters to come to their school. They're going to offer more money and there's really nothing stopping them from doing so. But at least you have contracts involved where, hey, you're going to sign a a, a three-year deal with, I don't know, let's say Nike. But in this Nike deal, it says you have to be at Oregon. I think that could help tampering. I think that's one of the issues that is kind of bubble to the service that has become an unintended consequence of college football. I think it needs to be fixed. So I think whether it's tampering, whether it's um, just buying recruiting classes, like I don't think Nick Saban is wrong. And Nick Saban wasn't again. Going back to his comments last week about Jimbo Fisher and Texas A&M. Let's not, let's not forget this. It's important to remember. Nick Saban was not ratting Jimbo Fisher out to the NCAA. Jimbo, uh, Nick Saban was not saying what Jimbo Fisher did was wrong. He was basically saying, if this is how it's going to be, this is what we're going to do. We got a lot of money. Now, AM is more money than Alabama, but we are going to be right up there and we will give every single recruit as much money as they want. Fine. Nick Saban is no dummy. He knows what works. He's not afraid to adapt. So if we're going to have every single year, Texas A&M, Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, Clemson, USC, Texas, as a five, six schools every year that are just sucking up the top 100 kids and just by writing, you know, endless checks. That is terrible for the sport of college football. That is terrible for fans. That is terrible for growing the game. That is terrible for parity. Implementing a salary cap, limiting the amount of money you could spend on least on incoming recruiting classes for a year or two, I think for me is the best way to limit now recruits being bought and tampering from, you know, from uh, in the transfer portal as well. I am all for kids making as much money as they want. This is long overdue. I've long been pro player. And if you listen to this show, you know. And I'm still pro player. But I'm also pro parity. I'm also here to have a competitive college football season where more than three or four teams have a chance to win the title. Right now, it's not the case. And I really hope that changes sooner rather than later. I think these two changes, if they're implemented would help do that. So it's the best of both worlds. I want my cake and I'm trying to eat it too and I think I can. We can live in a world where kids are making hand over fist money in college, deservingly so, but also have a system in place where the talent is still spreading out to all different universities. We can have the best of both worlds here. I think the answer is salary cap in college football. Lane Kiffin was the one who brought it up, who made me really think about it. I think he's 100% right. Credit to him. 
Salary cap for me is the answer here when it comes to recruiting. Not three or four years down the road. Not trying to cap how much you know a player can earn. I know you can make as much money as you want. But it's that buying of recruitment. It is that inducement. Getting a kid to come to your school because you wrote the biggest check. That for me, I think needs to change. That for me is hurting parity. So when Lane Kiffin brought it up, I 100% agree with him right here. So when we return here, I just want to quickly hit on the Boston Celtics one win away from the NBA Finals. What's the biggest reason why they won yesterday? We'll discuss that on the Ryan Hickey Show when we return in three minutes on Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show, right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back into the Ryan Hickey Show with you on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network right here. So I, just, I want to get to the Celtics here in a second to wrap up the show, but I just saw this from Shams on Twitter. Shams Sharania, tremendous NBA uh, insider for, uh, for Stadium and the Athletic. He just tweeted... That former NBA player, if you remember, Glenn Big Baby Davis. He is the most recent addition to become part of Jake Paul's pay-per-view uh, boxing event uh, later in August. Now, let me just say this. I don't, maybe this is just me and I'm in the minority here and most people love it. Does anyone really care about watching former washed-up athletes box? Like, I know Jake Paul has somehow made this entire cottage industry of just fighting celebrities former celebrities, wannabe celebrities, washed-up athletes, athletes that are desperate for a paycheck. Like, I have no interest in watching former scrub athletes box each other. Like, who? honestly, maybe it's just me, but who cares? Who cares? But I guess a lot of people do because a lot of people keep on buying these events, and there's a reason why Jake Paul keeps, you know, making hand-over-fist money and keeps on, you know, scheduling events like this. But does anyone really care about seeing former athletes like Glenn Big Baby Davis, seeing Jake Paul fights, former NBA player, former basketball player, former football player. Like, I don't. I don't care. Like, does anyone does anyone remember seeing Nate Robinson get knocked out? Like, was that interesting? Did anyone go on a summer night? Oh, man, I got to go watch Nate Robinson box. Again, they, I guess it's just me because a lot of people keep on buying these and there's a reason why the paper events keep on going on. And there's a reason why Shams, again, an insanely respected NBA insider with an insanely big following, is tweeting this news that Glenn Big Baby Davis is now joining a pay-per-view event in Jake Paul's uh, latest boxing uh, event. You wouldn't tweet that if no one cared. I just have zero interest in it, and I guess it's, I guess it's just me. I'm hoping it's you too, because those things are just dumb, and I can't wait for them to be over. That's for sure. Maybe that's old man yelling at the clouds. And if that's the case, then this segment of the show, Ryan yells at clouds, is over. I do want to give a little bit of praise here before we end the show um, to the Boston Celtics. They won Game Five last night in Miami, and they did so for me in a in a championship way. Because the Celtics did not play their A game yesterday. Now, the Heat clearly did not play their best game either. But the Celtics, despite not playing their best, found a way to win the game. And that to me is what championship teams do. 
Championship teams, when things aren't going your way, still find a way to win. If my show sucks, which most of the time I get it, it does. But if you find a way to end strong or get the most out of it, okay. Great. Keep on fighting through. The Celtics, for three quarters, couldn't hit a shot. Okay. Keep on fighting through and find other ways to win the game at the end. And that's what they did last night. And it started with Jason Tatum. Jason Tatum did not have a great game yesterday scoring. 22 points with just 7-20 shooting. But what pressed me the most was 9 assists. Where's playmaking? Starting the game off slow as he did, realizing, you know what? Instead of hitting shots or taking shots when I'm 0-6 or 0-7, I'm going to start finding my teammates. I'm going to start finding Al Horford or Marcus Smart or Jalen Brown and have them hit shots because they right now are shooting better than me. Even though, you know, I am... My best talent for Jason Tatum is scoring. Even though he is one of the best players in the NBA and that first team All-NBA nod he got yesterday uh, that was official showed that. But his credit, he still realized, you know what? I'm not having a great day. Even though I get paid for the most part to shoot the ball, it's not working. So I got to find another way in order to have success to lead my team to victory. And that's what he did, dishing out nine assists. As a team, the Celtics scored just 93 points yesterday. They had 37 in the first half. Scoring for everyone, not just Jason Tatum, but scoring for everyone in the Celtics was hard to come by. But you know what Boston did instead? They grinded on the defensive end. They locked down on that end of the floor and said, you know what? If we're not going to score, fine. But we're going to make sure. We are sure as hell not allowing the Heat to score. And that's exactly what happened. Miami goes just 7 of 45. 7 of 45 from 3. Couldn't hit water from a boat. Sure, part of that is injuries. Jimmy Butler, banged up. Kyle Lowry, banged up. Grant, uh, Tyler Hero, didn't play. Part of that horrendous shooting performance absolutely was injuries. Also, though, part of that was great defense by Boston. Not giving them any open looks. Not giving them any easy shots. Derek White was tremendous. Robert Williams was tremendous. So big shout out to the Celtics for realizing and doing what championship teams do. When it's not working, when your A game is not there, find another way to win. Find a different way to impact the game in a positive way. That's what Jason Tatum did. That's what the Celtics did. That to me is why they're winning this series, and I still think they're going to win the finals. Impressive, impressive win by Boston yesterday. Take a three games to two series lead over the Heat. So that'll do it for this edition of the Ryan Hickey Show. Really do appreciate everyone who tuned in and made us a part of your Thursday. Now enjoy your Memorial Day weekend. What What's still, again, one of the best holiday weekends of the year. Summer is officially here, so hopefully you're welcoming it with open arms, whether it's barbecues, whether it's going to the beach, whether it's just enjoying the beautiful outdoor uh, life. Enjoy it. Happy summer. Happy Memorial Day weekend. Enjoy it. As always, stay safe, stay sane, and we'll talk to you soon right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.